Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Again, to the Hobcast Book Show. Little uh, free song of a different introduction this week. A free song? Well, I guess so. <laughs> a smidgen. A smidgen. A smidgen French of the smidgen. blind date theme. Now, why are we uh, starting with the blind date theme? It's very simple. This week we played blind date with our guest. We did. Yes, it was a blind date. And the reason was, uh, we'll explain, uh, is that you... Uh, we had booked uh, our guests for six o'clock Friday, and unfortunately, you got stuck. I did. I, I was um, delayed in hospital with uh, Luke, my oldest, because he had a um, minor operation on his jaw, and we were, knew we were going to be back sometime, uh, sort of mid-afternoon, but actually it was a bit longer, so unfortunately, we couldn't get back in time to do the podcast that we'd uh, set to record, and the people... Uh, Leanne and Dan, um, who we were going to interview, couldn't do any other time this weekend. So I just thought, well, I'll just put a tweet out and see if anyone wants to come on the show. And within seconds, I think it was, actually, we got a response from our blind date. Sarah Mandel, who (laughs) will join us later. Sarah has a a, a collection of wonderful anecdotes uh, about her dating life, post-divorce dating life in London. And uh, that is is currently out. And she's got a couple of other books uh, in the pipeline as well. And she's an American-Irish author. Uh, and it was literally a blind date because we, we knew very little about her. But we just went, OK, we'll go with it. And it was fascinating. It was. It's partly because she's not a crime author. And so it, we were stepping out of our comfort zone a little bit in that respect. But we, I think we learned a lot from talking to Sarah. Oh, it was really fascinating. We covered a lot of subjects. I mean, a lot of subjects about society as it is now. But also, I mean, she has a background um, from a military family in the United States, travelled the world as a result, but never felt quite at home anywhere. And so uh, we, we talked about that a, a, a great deal. So, yeah, it's just a great interview. Honestly, she's a wonderful guest. And my random question was very much like a silly question, a blind date question on that show, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> to, to num- number one, yeah. Sort of question a... number one to number one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you were a sandwich, what sandwich would you be? <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, so uh, we've got that to look forward to, Sarah Mandel. Okay, welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. We ought to introduce ourselves properly. My name is Adrian Hobart. And my name is Rebecca Collins. Together we run Hobeck Books, and that's a small company publishing the following genres. Crime. <laughs> Is that your silly voice? Oh, so silly voice, yeah. Suspense. Mystery number two. <laughs> <laughs> and thrillers. 
Uh, <laughs> that should be the easiest. Well, it should be. Thriller Silla. <laughs> yeah, Thriller Silla. <laughs> oh, boy. We've really got silly this week. Uh, it's early in the morning. Uh, you got up early. Uh, you were working on some uh, a, a big project. Uh, Can you believe it? I've done over two hours work, and it's what? It's eight o'clock. Quite past eight in the morning on a Sunday, and I've already done two hours' work. No, I, I do believe that because <laughs> that's the sort of time and effort you put in. And uh, I've got a big old day, uh, even that Sunday, of audio editing to do uh, for various reasons. Anyway, uh, we all look forward to the work to come, but we're writing, we're recording the podcast as we speak. So let's get into the news. And uh, well, uh, what have you got? I mean, I've got um, some, you know. We've been talking about supply issues. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what about you? Um, well, so um, a company who I wouldn't say they were like us, but they operate in the same uh, genre as us. And some of our authors have uh, published with this company, Bloodhound Books. Uh, we talked about them a few weeks ago uh, when they uh, were um, acquired by, uh, the name escapes me. The big, well, It was a big American company, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, digital yeah. publishing company. Um but uh, we also talked recently about there's um, a small independent publisher called Panther Publishing based yeah. in Wales run by James Griffiths. And he uh, was in the bookseller because he was saying that he was struggling to continue. He had a day job as well. And he his uh, aim was to sort of champion authors who otherwise wouldn't get published. And But he was struggling, basically. Um, and Bloodhound Books, it's been announced um have taken on the authors from uh, James's company. So they've got a new home, which is fantastic. You know, I mean, Bloodhound also, um, not that long ago, took on um, Unbound, published... No, Urbane. Sorry, <laughs> Unbound. Urbane. Urbane authors who were left, um, you know, without Homeless, a home. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's good news for those authors. I'm really pleased for them. So that includes J.S. Strange and Brian Gee, um so great you know it's, it's, i just i just it, i get very sad when you know a company is struggling and then the authors are just sort of left high and dry they've got no home they you know yeah it's really tough it's really tough I, I think one of the things you've got to consider is you know when you're pitching to to publishers is whether they've got longevity and look we'll be honest with you it, it is really tough trading conditions at the moment for the small indies um as i've said before you know, the traditional publishers during the pandemic had to advertise and sell somewhere and they went online and they have shifted a lot of their budget into online advertising in the way that independence had a, a free run, uh, just as we were setting up, really, I suppose. Uh, and so we're finding it tough to uh, affordably get our adverts across. And um, yeah, I think that you know, it seems to be a weekly thing where we're saying a small independent publisher have had to shut up shop. I'm guessing Bloodhound are in quite a strong position now because they've got well, this. They've got very deep um, pockets now. Yeah. So, you know, good for them. It's and, great. And, and I guess the the model that this American company are really working on is acquiring as much intellectual property as possible. Yeah. That's that's, exactly that's their right. growth. Those growth. Uh, uh, Impact. And in fact, we've seen. Uh, well, we were discussing it the other day, weren't we? That uh, we, it sort of slipped past us a little bit. But Hera Books, which was set up three years ago, yeah, uh, by you know publishing professionals to focus on commercial women's fiction, uh, was bought up by uh, who was it? Arenda, I think, bought it, or was it? I, I can't remember now. But anyway, it got bought up because it was part of a bigger growth strategy to 
to have as much intellectual property. I think property it was, yeah. I mean, yes, and the, and the um, MD of Hera was saying, you know, she, she's had a fantastic opportunity to build the company up and she's moving on to other things. Yeah, so, you know, she built it up for sale, basically, and, and that's what's happened. And, um, you know, undisclosed some, of course, they always say that. <laughs> I love uh, how they say that. It could have been 20p. <laughs> no, I doubt it. You know, maybe it's the buying Hoback it would be. But anyway. I'll stop that. <laughs> 25 at least. Yeah, at least, and a cup of coffee. Yeah. Oh, yes. Offer me a chocolate orange yeah. and we have a deal. All right. Well, there <laughs> I'm we joking. Are. We're out there now. Uh, <laughs> well, it's you know, there, there, there are lots of challenges. I mean, this is the thing. Um, we set up Hobeck. You set it up with any company with enormous amounts of optimism. And then actually the reality is there are always sorts of obstacles to get in your way. And we've mentioned before, we've had tons from Amazon throwing random problems in. Uh, yes. E- even this week <laughs> for our charity anthology. Uh, they were messing about. Uh, yeah, I've completely forgotten. So yeah. Oh feel, feel... yes, I, I remember what it was. It was because uh, the, the contributors I'd listed in the metadata didn't exactly match the contributors in the front of the book. Now the problem was that there's a limit on how many contributors you can list in the metadata, and it was less than we had in the book. But somehow I don't I don't actually know how they looked at it again and they accepted it. But it was a you know an hour of tension. <laughs> it was it was you just get these little bumps you know unexpectedly all the time. Um, so that's what we had to ride through and uh, and get through. Anyway, it's out there. The dark side of Christmas is doing really well and it's raising money for street reads, who help people in Glasgow and Edinburgh uh, access literacy if you're on the streets. So. Uh, please consider going to Amazon and buying it or from our website, which we, we sent a lot of copies out this week, didn't we? Oh, uh, at the post office ladies. So Paula and uh, Sandra, um, I walk, I came in and I had a big bag and I said, I warn you, it's quite a lot in here. I was there for about 45 minutes. And then the next day I came in with one book. <laughs> and the following day I came in with some Christmas cards and I said to them, I'm a normal person today. Could you guess what they said to me? Uh no, I can't actually. She said, Paula, she said, you'll never be a normal person. She's got you read, hasn't she? <laughs> My God. Yeah, we need to get them on the on the podcast. Sometime. I'd love to get them on they the are podcast. The, they are such fun. Um, <laughs> they are brilliant. Uh, they're, they're, they're a comedy duo. Well, they actually have a copy of The Dark Side of Christmas. And um, I did tell them that I'd written a story in there. So I'm looking forward to their review. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You come back with anecdotes about meeting them. I mean, I sometimes go in myself and just goes, Madam, not, not well, or something like well, that. Well, uh, yes, yeah, so I think I did mention on the podcast, didn't I, about Paula's mushroom escapade. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I talked about Sandra's love life, but I, I think that's probably a bit sensitive. Well, we'll get her on the podcast, we can find out about uh, <laughs> We're broadening our, our, our range of guests at the moment. Okay, um, shipping delays are hitting publication dates for a number of titles with some publishers even going as far as sending books to print, get this, nine months in advance to ensure they're released on time. Nine months? I mean, that that's completely alien to us at the current time, isn't well, it? Because I mean, we don't know. We, 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 you, we're, we've, we've stretched our uh, production time, but we're averaging at about you know six months. Yes. Work going in from, from final submission of manuscript through editing, uh, you know, creative process, getting the blurb written, getting it, getting it typeset, uh, getting it out to reviewers, all that sort of stuff. It's about six months. It's about six. It used to be four months. It's now six months. Yeah, it just, it. it just, it just 
gives everyone breathing room. So there's, you know, you don't make mistakes through rushing. No, and there's, you know, things happen sometimes that, you know, so you do need that that sort of, uh, what's the word, like margin for, uh, in case there's an error of some sort. Well, I mean, the, the issue is, I mean, we publish in the UK our books, uh, either through print on demand, but mostly now through Clay's mm. um, over in Suffolk. So that's fine. But this the reason that uh, some publishers are going early uh, is this, is that they're printing in China much, much cheaper for children's books particularly. Yes, illustrated, yes. I knew about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was the, 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 they're just brilliant at producing these books. Uh, and uh, Nosy Crow, who are a well-known children's publisher, said freight delays, which include lack of containers, congestion and port closures, have more than doubled its freight lead times. It meant that it was for, uh, forced to move publication dates for some titles. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the freight crisis is affecting everybody, um, monumentally. Uh, you know, there aren't enough shipping containers in the world to uh, to cope at the moment. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was listening to the radio about this, and um, the uh, interviewer said to the there was a, a guy who's worked in shipping for twenty five years, and the interviewer said, "Well, you know, is it Brexit?" And he said, "No, it's not Brexit." He said, "It's because of the pandemic, and because everybody had to, uh, well, a lot of people had to stop working for a period of time. That we're we're just catching up on that." Yes. Yes, so. I don't know if the garden shed crisis in the UK is over yet, but I mean there was a lot of a lot of problems in getting garden <laughs> sheds. I mean, you know, it's a, you know you have a waiting list for about six months, so I don't know whether that's been worked through. But that was for similar reasons. Yeah, yeah. and golf clubs as well. You heard well, and, and and I'm 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 constantly being told, yeah, the microchips that or the sort of uh, the central sort of nervous systems of cars are also in shortage. Yeah. Because of problems getting things from the Far East. And, and things like Christmas presents, you know, some some things I've tried to order, there's just no chance. So we, we've actually done, or oh, I've actually done most of my shopping in, in real shops this year. Wow. Yeah. Well, I've been doing a little bit of online. You saw a gigantic box arrive, which is one of your Very presents. intriguing. It's about the size of Toby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny because the guy appeared at the door, didn't he? And he was just sort of on the other side of this massive box. And I thought, well, will we get that in the door? I don't understand why the delivery driver at the moment, they're getting really impatient. They knock on one door and they go around to another and then they go back to another one. I know. So we're, it's almost like we're playing like a, the yeah, weather thing, you know. It's not, we're, like, <laughs> we're like pinballs dashing between the different doors trying to get there before they move on to the next one. Yesterday we were lucky because you were at the front door. I was at the back door. So we were bound to catch the guy. Yeah, we're going to tag team now. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, it's all good fun. And your final. So, yeah. So, I mean... This is, I think, this is a very positive thing. Um, so, Bonnier Books uh, CEO Perminder Mann and the Society of Authors have sort of joined together to get some signatories to urge literary festival organisers to keep festivals hybrid. So, irrespective of whether we're having a pandemic or not, which we probably still will be for the foreseeable future, but they're saying, you know, it's such a positive move because it means it's more inclusive for the audience. So, people with disabilities, people with mental health issues who might not want to attend such events can attend them virtually. And also, you get a more, uh, a bigger variety of guests appearing. You know, guests from all over the world can appear in these sort of hybrid events where you have some in person. Um, uh, events and you have some uh, virtual events 
And we experienced this at the Bloody Scotland Festival, didn't we? So yeah, we did. We had the chance to see Stephen King talking live. Okay, I got. Mm. I, I thought it was the other bloke. With, with Linwood Barclay. For the first half of the thing, but it, it was, that was, it, in many ways, that was the highlight for me because although he wasn't actually on the stage, it, I, I think the whole room was almost holding their breath for the whole hour and a half. Mm. Because it was, it was amazing. It really was. So yeah, this is got, a fantastic thing, and got a great thing. Uh, I mean, look, bloody Scotland, without question. Uh, even though their physical attendance was down this year for obvious reasons, made a lot more money. I'm told because they had so many digital signups, and so you know, the hybrid festivals will be here to come because commercially it now makes sense. But it was interesting. I mean, Harrogate didn't have the big international authors that they often get. You know, Michael Connolly or you know. Um, could listen to the number of people, you know, but Tess Gerritsen or someone like that <laughs> coming over. Um, but it, it it wasn't weakened for that. I mean, it had a UK focus, which was, you know, it, it worked it, for, for a relaunched festival after the pandemic. Yeah. But uh, personally, as somebody who doesn't like massive crowds, I quite like this idea because I would still attend in person if I can. And I might not always be able to because of childcare issues. The, what appealed to me about the Bloody Scotland Festival is it wasn't overcrowded. It wasn't, um, you know, you didn't feel that sort of claustrophobia that you can do sometimes at big festivals. It was nice and you got to talk to um, people you might otherwise have just let pass you by because of so many people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We just got to get more robust at festivals because we didn't make it past nine o'clock on any night at any of the festivals. <laughs> We're just knackered. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> well, that's our news for this week. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, lots of shifts in the uh, in the publishing world. Yeah, interesting shifts. Yeah, yeah, very interesting shifts. Right, well, let's get to our, our guest now. Oh, we're going on a blind date now. We are. So uh, we put out, as I say, this tweet this week saying, well, last minute. It's Friday. <laughs> Friday, yeah. Can we find guests? In fact, actually, from it, there are a number of guests I now know. lined up, which was really I am wonderful. so excited. So, at January and February, we have got some really interesting guests coming up. Yeah, it really, really worked. I just want to say thank you to everybody who replied to the tweet. Yeah, wonderful. Really, you know, just shows well the power of Twitter. But anyway, Sarah Mandel was the uh, the first to reply, and so we said, yeah, absolutely. And Sarah has uh, I've lost the time. Here we go. I've got it. It's here. what I do all the time. What do go. I do all the time? You ruin it when you talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> says a lot for our podcast, doesn't it? And uh, it is a, a novelette, as we discover, uh, which is a collection of anecdotes from being out in the, the, the dating scene, uh, post-divorce, a bit later in life, and you know, some of the disastrous dates that she's yeah had. so it's like a fictional adaptation isn't it of her experiences it's great she she will recite some of it for us but before we get there we wanted to find out you know who is sarah mandel we're delighted to speak to sarah mandel on the hobcast book show welcome to the show oh hello thank you so much for having me tell us where you are now you're, you're in london right yes i live in beautiful southeast london which is uh Actually, not looking too terrible this morning out the window. It's uh, only slightly overcast. 
So beats, you know, the weather we've been having this week with all these uh, storms I can't keep up with the names of anymore. So, <laughs> no, they're getting more and more exotic, aren't they? It's like two a week at the moment. Well, it, it has been. Like that. It has been, yeah. No, and I think the southeast and the southwest uh, had it worst for this last one in terms of the rain. I mean, I, I somebody sh- sh- uh, sent me a little five-second clip of her office in Southampton being... Basically, it looked like someone had put a pressure hose or, or got oh. a fire engine and was just firing water at the window. Blimey. Yeah. So I guess that's what you experienced, is it? Um, I don't think it was quite that exciting here. Um, <laughs> or if it was, I, I slept through it. I have a wonderful ability to sleep through the night. So you know, I can kind of come up, you know, downside and the branches are down from the trees sometimes. And I'm going, hmm, something happened. <laughs> you know? oh. I'm a bit like <laughs> Well, you are a bit like that, unless, unless of course, it's thunder, and then it's like, forget it. I'm oh, like... thunder. I have. To, well, we used to have a cellar. In our previous house, we had a cellar. So there was one particular thunderstorm that blew everything, didn't it? It blew mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi, well, it blew, blew the Xbox. blew the entire everything. country up, didn't it? And I grabbed a bottle of port and a glass and went into the cellar at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's so <laughs> smart. That's a really yeah. good way of doing that, I think. So I'd yeah, have to, I'd to, have to bunk in with my downstairs neighbour if I did that, and I'm not sure which one of us would be more... Terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I got an idea though, knocking on the door saying, Can I come in your cellar, please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> the, the mind's somewhat real. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Sarah, tell us, um, you know, we're, we're sort of, uh, you know, a lot of the listeners will be, be, you know, encountering you for the first time. So give us your background because, you know, clearly we can hear the American accent, but, uh, Whereabouts are you from originally? Well, I mean, that's a, a very long story, actually. My um, my, my father uh, spent his entire career in the American Navy. And ah. my mother is a civilian Department of Defense employee for her career. So I grew up ricocheting around quite a bit. Um, but I have been in the UK since uh, 1997. So, you know, the accent hasn't shifted. But, uh, you know, the rest of me has, I guess. Yeah, so f- <laughs> full-time sort of London Anglophile now. Well, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I, the first place I came was in uh, Belfast. So I did, uh, you know, America, your undergrad is four years. So I, and you, for your third year, there's usually an option to uh, go overseas. So, um, so I did, and I, I spent uh, a year in Belfast. And then while I was there, I got married and then sort of, you know, rushed back to the U.S. to finish my degree while my husband uh, went down to, uh, he got worked down uh, in Worthing on the South Coast. And uh-huh. then once uh, I graduated and got my visa through, I came down and joined him there. We then left Worthing quite quickly. Um, not too much shade on Worthing, but neither of us liked it there very much. And, uh, you know, moved up into London in February 2000. And uh, I've been here ever since. Um, um, when we got divorced, he, he went back to Belfast, but uh, I stayed here so okay well I, 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 I want to talk about Worthing now because I, was, I knew the anecdote is coming well no, come on. I was the district reporter for the BBC uh, based in Chichester and then mm. I moved over to Brighton so obviously Worthing stuck in the middle of that uh, particular I was sort of having I'd have to cover Worthing and I, I kind of my favorite stories in Worthing were always about the crematorium okay uh, bizarrely yeah, Never because enjoyed it's... an afternoon at the Worthing Crematorium, I have to say. It's because it's the busiest crematorium in the UK. 
and uh, is yeah. that a fact or have you it just... is fact? It's a fact. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, there. they have about four chapels of rest in there, and so that you know they're sort of organizing multiple hearse arrivals. It's it's incredibly well choreographed. I was going to say you'd have to, wouldn't you? So it feels like you're the only group of people there, but they actually <laughs> they actually have them sort of you know they time their entrance so that they you know the other groups don't yeah, interact i've heard about this before yeah so, because it's, it's such a sensitive thing isn't it you want to feel like you're the only funeral right and 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 one of my uh old friends from that that period of my life uh it's a guy called ian hart who runs his own he's an undertaker just set up his own firm about four years ago and so worthing you know he was telling me all sorts of stories about what happened there but they're very they love their jobs there it's bizarre i mean they're really the most upbeat um crematoria staff you could ever meet <laughs> well uh, it's not that i've met that many actually <laughs> no but they're incredibly passionate and energetic about it and they, what they used to phone me up on a almost weekly basis were trying to get hold of records they couldn't get hold of for oh, funerals see. you see so there'd be someone's song that they wanted to play and it would be some ancient recording from the 1920s and of course it'd be in the bbc gramophone library yeah we should tell sarah that you used to work for the bbc yeah. that's how you had access to them so i would call up and get this thing sent down to me and then they get it transferred onto tape or whatever and uh yeah it was, it was a good little learner for me but anyway, I mean, that's it, uh... it sounds wonderful you were able to contribute to that but you know i suppose if you live in a town nicknamed god's waiting room you know you yes. have to quite passionate about these things right that's right that's right it, it is a, it is a it is a sleepy little place um it's got a lovely you know seafront but you know <laughs> yeah I, mean, I have I, I didn't fit in there very much uh, at all I have to say in, in, in the kind of thing where I'm going into the local chippy and people were sort of going you know why are you here you're a foreigner are you on vacation and I was like um yes Yes, I am. I'm absolutely <laughs> here on vacation. I, I had the whole world to choose from, and I picked this chippy and Worthing. You are correct. <laughs> that was a good point, yeah. yeah. Tour of Europe, go to the chippy and Worthing. Well, it, it, I, I have Worthing. to say, the chips were quite good down there. So. Oh, yeah, they are. They are. And it's positively cosmopolitan compared to where I lived in Bognor Regis, which was oh, something else altogether. Um, my, yeah. my ex once uh, got to go on a, a, a weekend with a, when he was a philosophy student to the um, to the in Bognor Regis and he mm. he he half inched me the um menu from the uh, uh Thai restaurant in the Butlins in Bognor Regis and um I bet you won't be able to guess the name uh, oh. Orchard or something orchard no it was the Titanic so no <laughs> the Titanic oh. yes. and, he, and he was like I'm so sorry you couldn't come to this you would have loved it and I was there with this menu going oh god yes unfortunately <laughs> 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 I, you know, and he was like, how's the food? He says, we won't talk about that part. <laughs> no, no, there was nowhere to eat in, in the entire town. I mean, there really was literally nowhere. To, I mean, apart from the chippy, uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a disaster zone. I, I was going to digress again, because once you mentioned the US Navy, I actually coming into this interview, I was, <laughs> I was indulging in my usual passion of watching something about US Navy carriers. So, uh, you know, my ears pricked up at that point. But yes, I mean, that peripatetic life, it must have taken you, did it take you across Europe or was it the whole world? Uh, Europe, you... I, I came to Europe myself as a teenager. When I was 16, I, I spent six months on an exchange um, going to uh, basically sixth form in a school in Brittany. Um, but being in the Navy as a child, um, we were sort of all around the US and then we spent... 
uh, two and a half years in Japan, which included a couple of months in the Philippines as well, when I was very small. My dad spent most of his career on carriers. So if, if you've been watching stuff about it, you know, you've almost certainly kind of come across my dad at some point. But uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, he, he retired a, a while ago. But he, you know, he, being involved sort of in the military has kind of been probably the most important factor of my life being a military brat and being sort of shaped by you know being a third culture kid as well um which is something that I didn't have the language for until I was an adult and then you know saw a magazine profile about it and you kind of you know immediately googled it and was like oh okay you know, now I make sense you know, <laughs> you know just about you know being willing to kind of explore different cultures or feeling less connected to your home culture or what is thought of as your home culture but it's really not because you have been within the third culture so you're not in you know you know in my case you know I wasn't in America but I certainly wasn't in you know Japanese culture either because you know for one not speaking the language and two not being Japanese but I was then in the third culture that was not quite either of those things and you know, and, and there's versions of this, you know, business kids, you know, who's, you know, move around the world for, you know, because their father is a high powered, you know, corporate executive or, you know, diplomat kids or missionary kids and, and then military kids. And, and so you get this kind of global sort of connection with people who've had this kind of very similar childhoods that I have found in, in my day career, to my surprise, where I've just sort of Kind of become fast friends with someone in the office that I haven't had too much in common with or, or or not on the surface kind of realized that you know we had much in common and then you know be sitting down and he would you know he or she would mention something like oh you know we moved around a lot for my you know my dad's job and I was like aha third culture <laughs> you know and they'd be like oh my god me too and it's like well obviously this is clearly why we're, we've been friends this whole time and and then you know you would get to kind of compare you know how many countries you lived in you know how many different schools you went to and where your friends from and then how then that affects your adult life so you know being willing to kind of you know to, to live in perhaps a culture that isn't your own or marry someone from a completely different background or, you know, or just the decisions about you make about how you bring up your children that are not necessarily focused on them replicating your own childhood, you know, which I think a lot of parents do, but third culture kids couldn't replicate their own childhoods, you know, if they tried. So it becomes a much um, kind of stranger kind of conversation in that, you know, people will sometimes then, you know, pick a place and nail themselves down there even if it's a country that they might not themselves have too much of an affinity for, but it's, it feels like home to them. And then it becomes a whole different thing, but then their children are being brought up then in a complete different culture to the one that their parents have. And, and you can, you know, it, it's, it's endlessly fascinating. And it's something that it's, it's pretty hard to articulate, I think, because you are in kind of your own kind of country of, you know, of, of one, you know, or if you have siblings, maybe you're in a country with them and more or less only them. And it gives you, I think, an ability to sort of 
it, it makes you relate very differently to the rest of the world because you aren't coming from a specific town or a specific place and the specific kind of nuances of the culture that come from growing up just in one place. But you aren't also not in a, you know, you're, you're not some sort of alien, but you're just not quite as embraced, I think. And it was that kind of sense of alienation that is something that it was kind of exploring in the book as well about, you know, because obviously you ruin it when you talk is about being out and, and dating in a culture, as in the culture of London, where, but without being, you know, without being British, without being straight necessarily, without being something that's kind of necessarily very easy for people to categorize on a first date. And then all the interesting things that happened as a result of that. So a fiction yeah, is very that, of course. So I think that, that's quite interesting, is it? Because it's 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 human nature to find explanations for everything they encounter, whether it's a person or a culture. And if they can't quite have an explanation for it, they they feel confused. And yes, so yes. I think what you're saying is that with the upbringing you had, there is confusion because you don't you don't have somewhere you feel you completely and hundred percent belong to. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I can relate a little bit to this because I lived in Japan for two years, but I was an adult by the time I, I lived there. But I remember that sort of sense of after a certain period of time of living there, you feel like you live there and you, you, you feel like you almost belong, but you never quite completely belong there for whatever reason, you know, all the various different reasons, I mean. Well, I mean, Japanese culture is you know, by design, I think a bit more alienating to outsiders. But of course, when you're in a culture, you know, I was there from the ages of five to eight. So, you know, I was a kid and, and you, at that age, I think the world that is presented to you is just the world as it is. And you don't, mm. you don't think about it because you, you are, a, you know, a, a tiny child. <laughs> it just, it's not something that I think would occur to any small child to think about those things but then when you kind of come into a society as an adult you you know you have by then sort of your own sense of self and your own sense of what has made your sense of self and then to kind of you know choose either you know by choice or not by choice to kind of enter into a completely different society that operates under different rules different, you know, gender expectations, different, you know, cultural expectations, you know, and, and either you, or you don't know the rules and you don't think they're important. So you break them anyway and everybody, you know, and how then people react to that or don't, or whether you are sort of allowed to break the rules or not and how then, you then are made to feel as whether you're you know on the inside or the outside of a society you know it, it's it's different for everybody you know and some people you know get very upset by those kind of um you know changes in uh you know and how they sort of get to navigate through the world and some people you know are able to kind of roll with it a little bit more easily and you know don't necessarily take it personally or or do take it personally but no that's just part of the experience and and, and and whether you're going to be somewhere for the short term, you know, like for two years, then it, you can, it, it's a different thing than if you're somewhere that you know you're going to be for the rest of your life. And then how bumping up against those uh, expectations, how that affects you. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. So I, I have um, the military base that I lived in in Japan. One of uh, a mate of mine 
you know, from, you know, high school who I, you know, kept in touch with on Facebook and that she ended up as an adult, as a military wife living on the same base that I was on as a child. So occasionally yeah. she would be messaging me kind of explaining, you know, what was going on and, and not, and she, she was having a really terrible time coping. And then she kind of sent me a message that she basically had, you know, basically a, um, a complete meltdown, like a, a supermarket themed tantrum over something like cream cheese or sour cream or something not being available and this was this you know and this was just the final straw like she literally picked up her kids and went back to America to her mother's for the summer because she just couldn't take it anymore and and she was there going you know I feel ridiculous and I was like no 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 I get it completely (laughs) like I totally understand (laughs) some people you know can cope with these things and some people just you know finding it a struggle and you know the fact that she was able she had the sort of the get out clause of being able to kind of buy the plane tickets you know take her children and run you know was 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 the great thing and you know and 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 people were sort of going but this is ridiculous like she she did this over cream cheese and I was like I don't think you understand just how alienating and upsetting things can be and how desperate you are for things to be the way that you used to have them or the way that you knew and and when it all becomes too much like you you do sometimes you know you lose it over something small absolutely no I mean I think we we could both relate to that I'm a past master of that (laughs) Uh, but but the thing about Japan though because I can remember traveling miles for cheddar cheese oh of course and I had that craving for cheddar cheese and baked beans as well I I spent about 40 pounds equivalent 40 pounds in 1997 to get myself some tins of beans because I needed those beans <laughs> yeah I com- and I completely I completely understand that because I've certainly you know done that kind of thing where kind of going around to these sort of the American section of the shops and going all right this is incredibly expensive but you know right now like I need something that is going to remind me of home yeah. and um you know it's been surprising how you know that's become easier over over the decades when I need it less <laughs> sometimes I'm you know there's this terrible kind of American candy chains that have popped up everywhere sometimes I kind of go in there and look at you know the wall of pop tarts or whatever and I think (laughs) god I would have loved this you know you know in my first two years here now of course I don't need it anymore but I'm glad it's here for the other kids you know who are coming through and just you know need one damn thing that makes them you know the breakfast that will make them you know feel you know less lonely right yeah, yeah. No, it's... Oh, I, I, I empathize. I mean, even moving around the country with my job, um, you know, various different locations, I, you know, moving as a journalist, the amount of time I spent in somewhere familiar like a Tesco in the first three months of every deployment or change of situation, because it's the one thing that had a cord, you know, you haven't <laughs> laid down social roots no, at this stage. Uh, and the nature of journalism and, and the sort of job I was doing as a reporter meant that you actually really struggled to set you know, have any sort of uh, friendships or whatever, because basically everyone was a contact as opposed to a, a friend, yeah. um, the people you encountered. And uh, and the nature of it was that you'd be paged at sort of three in the morning to go and cover a fire somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't go out drinking or, you know, anything no- normal. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd spend my time in t- Tesco <laughs> soak- soaking up the normality and finding an excuse to go and buy something. So you're making me think now that you go into any random Tesco and you will see a core of lonely people I think so. <laughs> wandering around yeah, probably probably yeah, yeah it's interesting 
why you know the chain you know the chain sort of businesses you know are successful because there is a place for it you know when if you stand around and you you know you're in a strange and alienating place but you know if you go to you know starbucks or mcdonald's that you will get you know the same coffee or the same burger and and it's something that can kind of you know nail you to the ground that that is a huge relief that you you know you don't have to you know, experiment necessarily. You don't have to risk going into some, you know, little restaurant where the coffee might be terrible or they might be rude to you. But, you know, you know, this is a terrible thing to be saying, but sometimes you need that to something that you you know exactly what you're going to get. And you can, you can start from there. You know, once you sort of have that kind of core sense of, um, you know, of knowing what, you know, what something is. And then you can go, okay, so, you know, now that I have established, you know, where I am in this strange place, I can always go back to Tesco. <laughs> you know, I can always go back to, you know, if, if I need it, I know it's there and I know, I know exactly what I'll get. And that's really reassuring, I think. There is, there'll always be a Tesco. It's been like, so when I was in Japan, I absolutely love Japanese food and I still love Japanese food, but a good old hamburger setto in McDonald's made me feel better if I felt a bit low mm, absolutely <laughs> and, 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 yeah I, and I think that's yeah it's wonderful you know <laughs> but the irony is this is McDonald's we're talking about and I'm I was from the UK and McDonald's was making me feel like I was back at home well I mean McDonald's is, is a is a global thing isn't it you know any yeah. nowadays and I have to say I, I I mean I don't think I've been in a McDonald's myself for you know a good couple of years but I like knowing that it's there you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's> very <laughs> sure, isn't it? Yeah, that's right uh, i have to say i mean it's interesting at uh, the american military phenomenon in terms of the bases i mean i used to go and visit uh very occasionally some of the air bases in the east east anglia so i brought up in cambridge and so we had Logan heath around the corner and mildenhall and whatever and it seemed to me that the whole emphasis of kind of pastoral care for the people on those bases was to create little america wherever it was um so there was a sense of familiarity and the same happened at Bagram Air Base in in Afghanistan for instance you know they, they you know although it was you know dusty sandstorms very very hot in went the Starbucks in went all the the sort of familiar home comforts and that that in itself is sort of like creates a sort of force field from the world outside doesn't it yeah and I, I mean I've actually written a novel that is desperately seeking a publisher that is more or less based on that exact phenomenon um the the departments are called morale welfare and recreation um which is the title of the book but it, it it's it's the sort of the three kind of core things that the you know the military indirectly needs to emphasize for it to function well so you know the morale of the of the workers you know promoting their general welfare and then you know spaces for them to you know relax and forget you know <laughs> what they yeah. are they're you know working to to be a part of and uh, and I think the the concept of being able to bring home with you when you are in a, a strange and alienating place you know whether that is you know Bagram or you know Mildenhall um, is is important especially because if you are someone who you know is is not necessarily well traveled or is not necessarily you know, or I mean, frankly, a lot of, you know, enlisted people in the military are, you know, coming straight out of school, you know, are, you know, mm-hmm. still teenagers, you know, will not necessarily be, you know, the sophisticated cosmopolitan, you know, adults that, you know, 
that are necessarily running the show and and to drop them in a entirely new culture with very little resources and a lot of times not very much money um there's a huge uh issue right now in the u.s about army you know families needing uh food banks and you know basically receiving you know welfare benefits in order to feed their kids because the pay is so low um you know so, so you know, to to have you know these people, and on top of that, then to be in, in a completely strange place, it's it's too much. And a lot of people, you know, that will be the that will be the cream cheese. That will be the straw that just pushes them over the edge and makes either them not want to, you know, be in the military. It will make their families not want to back them up. So, enabling that kind of sense of of home or that sense of familiarity is something that you know, is always been, you know, very important, you know, and, mm-hmm. and an army, you know, does march in its stomach, but, you know, so does, so does everybody else, you know. I was just thinking that phrase in my head, yeah. yeah. It's, no, it does. It's a version of an army marches on the stomach. You need that. Well, it, I, I find it interesting because the parallels in, in my old career in, in BBC Sport, I went to the London Olympics and indeed Rio as well, and NBC did exactly the same thing that they would do with an American military base, which they had their own Starbucks inside their offices yeah. and uh, all sorts of other concessions there. So that everyone felt, you know, like, again, uh, you know, it was a huge deployment, the NBC. It, was, it dwarfed yeah. pretty much half of the space set aside for broadcasters was used by NBC. And then the rest of us were in little pockets with, you know, really, you know, plasterboard walls and whatever. But this thing was a decorative you know it, it felt like the NBC offices if you were in New York or something you know it was just had everything laid on and there is this need to to make people you know so that they work you know compensate for the work they're doing but it's, it makes sense doesn't it? like like Sarah was saying you don't want people to up and leave all over the place because they haven't got that comfort they haven't got that familiarity mm. I mean, the flip side of that is, you know, for something like the Olympics, which is, you know, at most a couple of months, even though obviously all the, you know, the, the run up to it is, is quite long, you know, yes. that, that, you know, a little bit of grit in the oyster is what creates the pearls. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> this sort of, you know, the, the, this can kind of, of course, then swing too far the other way where, you know, people who, you know, do sort of travel around the world and all they see is the inside of a McDonald's or a Starbucks or all they sort of experience is exactly the same as it would be at home. And, and it, it, it makes them, you know, not sort of able to kind of appreciate, you know, what the rest of the world is thinking or doing or eating even really, you know, and, and not being able to kind of drink kind of, you know, other kinds of coffee or, you know, eat a different kind of burger for God's sake, you know, watching yeah. somebody, you know, getting upset about a brioche bun instead of a sesame seed bun, something. I You know, right. And, you know, and you're sort of sitting there going like, Oh my God, but you know, and, 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 and so, so it, it can be, you know, it, it can, it can go too far the other way. And I think it's, it's being able to sort of figure out how to kind of, you know, live in the world that isn't necessarily built for you is, um, you know, is, is always the challenge. And it's really fascinating how many, how much effort people will go to, to prevent that from happening sometimes. Right. Yeah, and then, absolutely. And then, and then the people who are, you know, then of course, you know, you get the people who are, you know, disdainful of that kind of stuff and who will go completely the other way to, um, you know, experience kind of, 
hardship or authenticity or all that kind of stuff in travel. I, I'm just suddenly thinking about, uh, I, I did a layover in Hamburg airport, no, sorry, Frankfurt airport when I was a mm-hmm. teenager and sort of camping out with everybody else who couldn't afford a hotel, you know, sleeping overnight and um, talking to a bloke who, you know, was, was just, you know, there was nothing creepy or gross going on, but, you know, he was telling me about how he, you know, done a, a month long hike in Nepal, um, which, and then, and then went into some detail about what it was like to experience a, a hot shower after a month of, of not showering. And um, it, it remains one of the more vivid conversations I've ever been a part of. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you know so it was just, and I was kind of sitting there going, okay, so, you know, perhaps I will never, you know, spend a month hiking in Nepal. Um, am I feeling sorry for that choice right now? Not, not even a tiny, <laughs> tiny little bit. You know? I think so, it's, it's a case of getting the balance right, isn't it? Because uh, you get the both best of both worlds if you do spend some time experiencing new things and and having hardships based on where you happen to be um but then also knowing that you can return to the place where you get the cream cheese and the and the hot shower and it's sort of uh, i i think that you know it's it, it's it sort of upsets me a little bit when people judge you for wanting the cream cheese every now and then yeah and say oh that means you're not appreciating where you are and what you're doing mm. and the experience mm. of it yeah well, I, exactly. I, I definitely exactly. felt that on my african duty trips for football <laughs> uh yeah i mean <laughs> yearning for something that wasn't goat knuckle soup knuckle soup or uh, <laughs> uh or whatever else i ate some really weird stuff but yeah i mean amazing how a bottle of coke would change my <laughs> the dynamic if i could find one so in terms of um you mentioned that you know you've got a uh, a book a project a project out there for, <laughs> for publishers to, to snaffle up if if, if they, they wish to but your published work you you ruin it where i can't say i can't even talk because my middle of us <laughs> stumbling all over the place you ruin it when you talk exactly like i do <laughs> brilliant um it's uh it's been described is it a novelette is that, is that how the publisher describes it Yes, well, Open Pen is a uh, one-man small press, and um, one of the well, the author of the first novelette that put out, he he pitched the idea. They sort of came up with the idea of it together. Um, his name is Fernando Strigotti. Um, he's a he's a wonderful writer, and um, but he sort of said that he thought there was a space in the publishing world for books that were not a short story because they were too it's too long to be a short story, but they mm. were not even a novella because that was too long. So books kind of in between, say, 10 and, you know, 30,000 words. Yes. You know, so, you know, tiny little novelette. And, um, and, and because, you know, Open Pen has been sort of focused on a free uh, short story magazine for a while. So they sort of put a call out to, to writers who've been involved in the magazine and came up with sort of the first series of five. And then I heard about this through, you know, I've, I've um, written for one of the websites that Fernando runs um, as a book critic for minor literatures. And so when, when this, you know, the novelette, Chum, or sorry, when Fernando's novelette got launched, I got invited to the party. And at the party, I sort of realized that I had an idea for a novelette as well. And uh, mm. so then, you know, later on, I kind of, you know, pitched it to Sean. And he said, great, you know, send me what you have. 
So I went, you know, so pulled together everything quite quickly, sent him what I had, and then uh, heard back from him about two hours later saying that it, he thought it was great and he wanted to publish it. Um, I'm given to understand that getting a book deal is not usually quite that simple, but that's how, it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it works for me. So, um, so yeah, cause, it, cause it's, uh, it's 12,000 words more or less, probably right. a little bit more. And, um, in, in, you know, sort of, you know, kind of just brief little kind of snippets of anecdotes as we sort of call it. there's 109 of them. The shortest one is six words and the longest <laughs> one is, uh, is about four or 500, um, uh, you know, but, but obviously with a plot and, you know, with characters and things, but just if it was longer than that, I think it would have been too long. And if it was shorter than that, it would just be sort of, uh, you know, it wouldn't have a plot. So, yeah. you know, the way it sort of came together with, with this, you know, I think it's, you know, a very lucky kind of, marriage of uh you know material with uh you know a, a publisher for it so, so it's, yes, it's fictional I get the impression well it, you're saying it's fictional but is there an element of non-fiction in your experience well I, I've well? been on a bunch of bad dates so um <laughs> you know, and you know and then sort of telling my friends about you know the bad dates that I was on you know and you know these these experiences I was having where you know I really just didn't know whether to laugh or cry and my friends were going oh you know this is so funny you know you should write this down you know you you, you clearly have a book here and I was like yeah 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 you know there, there's not enough here to to do a sort of a a you know a, a novel you know like a proper kind of plotted stuff and then and then the novelette got invented and I went ooh <laughs> and, yeah. and then I realized that, you know I might not have sort of a full-length book uh, you know out of this but I certainly have a novelette so um and uh, and so I do so it uh it came out in November 2020 so you know wonderful timing to uh, bring out a new <laughs> yeah perfect. yeah so um you know but we we so I've done um exactly two live events for the book um which we sort of managed to squeak in in the you know the last couple of months so um you know hopefully it will eventually get some you know attention you know you know past you know these uh you know delightful podcasts and things but uh you know which i you know obviously that that sounded a bit narky and i don't mean that at all you know no, but, not, at all. not at all i was just about to say because we did we did talk about it beforehand briefly that uh the possibility of you reading something from this book and now i really want you to if that's okay <laughs> if, if you want so yeah because oh, yeah, yeah. i'm intrigued i'm really intrigued all right, let me, well, I'll do the ones from the start. And uh, yeah, and then obviously you'll tell me when to stop. So we were in Farringdon going through the second date motions, asking about siblings and jobs and when we moved to London. I moved down from Scotland for a girl, he said. We lived together for six years till we broke up. That's a long time to live with someone. Mm. Well, there were problems from the start. In the six years we lived together, we never had sex. I set down my cheesy chip what oh yeah it was horrible and after a few years it really started to bother me we'd messaged a bit through the dating app before he asked for my number when I said my only rule on getting back out there was not giving anyone my number until we'd met in person he invited me on a date in a bar in Leicester Square when I arrived he was already seated in the outdoor area with a cocktail when I said I would go get my drink he insisted I sit down and he would pay for it while he failed to attract the attention of a waiter, I decided to lighten the mood by asking why he picked the place. 
For starters, it is excellent CCTV. I was in a ghastly club with some colleagues. A Swifty had turned into a session, and the brick shithouse from my team had paid everybody's entrance fee, so we'd carried on. It was fun, dancing, but then I accidentally made eye contact with this dude. He leaped over and swept me around the dance floor with his hands on my arse while bombarding me with questions. What was my name? Where did I live? What was a pretty woman like me doing in a place like this? I was taken aback, but you're supposed to give people a chance. Oh, he said then, I love your tongue. I finished taking off my clothes and turned to him with a smile. Oh my God, the Scot said, you have the most fantastic eyebrows. I sucked in my breath as he continued. No, I'm serious, woman. Look at those. Do you go to a salon? No, I said. I grew them myself. In the two hours we spent together, he did not ask me one single question. I had bought the first round of drinks. By the time I was halfway through my pint, I was busy with anticipating how he'd manage buying his. When the time came, he stood up. I suppose I should buy you a drink, he said, then looked at the glass in my hand. He looked at that glass until I gave up. Same again, I said. He thought telling me about the time he punched a woman in the face outside the club was a funny story. The date in Camden was going well until I asked where he lived. He stammered, then proceeded to tell me about how he'd interviewed to live on a houseboat as the fifth roommate to four abstemious, incestuous vegan lesbians. Incestuous only that during the interview, they'd made it clear who was exes with who, then he told me all about who he thought was sleeping with each other anyway. Then being teetotal was not a problem, and he'd guessed he could live with the lesbian drama, but he hadn't been prepared to tolerate the veganism. This was all <laughs> extremely interesting, but it hadn't answered my question. He made a face. Well, as it happened, when he last came back from Burning Man, he'd been shocked to realize how much of his lovely money he was expected to spend on rent. He simply couldn't justify it. So he had a van parked in a mate's driveway in Tottenham, and the mate let him use the bogs if necessary. Although one of the benefits of being a man, he said, is you can just piss anywhere. And he showered at <laughs> him again. I tried very hard not to make a face myself, but he said, see, this is why I didn't want to tell you. It looks like you're judging me. Oh, I'm not judging you, I said. I'm just thinking about my shower. <laughs> brilliant 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 oh that sounds fantastic wow well, thank you very much i i i think it is you know so. yeah <laughs> but, you know i would it's, wouldn't i so you know <laughs> no absolutely no i no it is it's 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 really sharp and uh you conjure up such images very very quickly and uh the characters of your uh your dates <laughs> um it's it kind of again anecdotes of city arizona here um I mean, I, I used to uh, go with my mates uh, when we were in our 20s and we were working in London uh, to the place called The Roadhouse in Covent Garden. Oh, yes. I've notorious. Many uh, well, I mean, there was one guy who he's now very big news in Australia as a, as a uh, presenter. Um, but in those days, he used to go there and he knew that he would not go home alone if he went to The Roadhouse. Oh, so he's God. a good looking guy. He's a good looking guy. <laughs> but he knew it. He was one of the most arrogant so-and-sos. Uh, when it came to to attracting women, and uh, yeah, I mean he drank. And I, <laughs> my uh, my record at the Roadhouse is, uh, I don't know if you do it in military in um, sort of sports terms, but uh, uh, fifteen games played, uh, zero wins. I mean it was oh. 
absolute nightmare being the, the male wallflower at the roadhouse. Oh, I feel sympathy for well, you I now. Used, I mean, I just, I didn't have the, 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 I don't know, the confidence, the lines, all that stuff that the other guys oh, used wow. to, hated it. And that was my effort of sort of finding a date in the 20s because you spurned me, you see. In, I, I had, in, I'd spurned him in uh, when you were 22. Yeah, thanks. Actually, <laughs> I was about 24, I think, at the time you spurned me. <laughs> Um, yeah, then we had a twenty-four year gap. Yeah, <laughs> so you 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 basically saved me from this dating hell that the the modern life is now. Because it, it's interesting. I did a when I was at journalism school. I did a uh, an in depth fifteen minute. Well, I say in in depth, but it was our big sort of dissertation radio piece that we had to do, and I did it on dating. And we're talking <laughs> about the mid nineties. So you, you you would join a you know you either look in the Lonely Hearts, which used to gone for pages and pages oh, the lonely and pages. hearts columns i used to love yeah. those or uh you would uh go you join a, a a dating agency so they were quite new then weren't well, they They were they? they were yeah so i mean there were but there was no online element no, no, it. No. it was all them sort of using you know index cards to match you and up they'd ring you up and say i found you a match exactly and <laughs> um so i persuaded nexus who are who were i don't know if they're still going um they were for professionals and intelligent sort of dates and they charged nine in this is in in the 90s 900 pounds to join Blimey. I mean, absolutely astonishing sum of money i thought at the time anyway i persuaded them to allow me to be a member for, for a month to see how it went mm. it was a disaster <laughs> it really was in fact in the end i got advice from the daily mirrors legendary um marjorie proops who was one of the great agony aunts of the 20th century and she said, just get a dog because <laughs> you're going to meet you're going to meet a like minded soul when you're walking your dog. They're going to think you're cool because you like dogs. You're dogs gonna, or babies, I think. And the dog is going to introduce itself to their dog <laughs> and break the ice for you. It's, it's simple. That's the best way to find a date. <laughs> a date. Well, I'll, 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 I'll have to call my landlady and see what she says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but now i mean this is this is in the context of you know so uh this is uh, dating after divorce for you and mm-hmm. using the the modern idiot i mean i suppose you know you're on apps and stuff looking for dates how, how does it work for you well i mean more or less yeah or you know sometimes actually meeting people through friends or just you know meeting people being out and about but i think what i i mean i, I wasn't expecting it to be particularly easy but what I have to say, you know, really surprised me about dating is, you know, is how the process is, is very, um, dehumanizing is a strong word, but it can feel like that sometimes. Um, and, it, and it's not that you have, you know, limitless choices or, you know, you can just keep scrolling endlessly through the apps because that I think has always been the case because you've always sort of had the whole world around you to choose from, but mm. what, I've found surprising is, is, you know, meeting up with people, you know, in person and, 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 and being treated in person like that, as if I was just something to sort of, you know, look at and then kind of breeze past and, Mm -hmm. and to be sort of treated like that, even with someone that, you know, you are perhaps having a physical relationship with is still, I think, kind of surprising you know, which is obviously not to say that, you know, that certain things don't have to be sort of, you know, short term, like they certainly don't have to last, you know, forever. But you sort of think, 
there's still sort of a, a, a minimum level of kind of, you know, common yeah. decency or sort of basic respect that, you know, should be sort of happening between any two people who are, you know, meeting for the first time. And, and it's, it's, it seems that the scales have kind of tipped in the direction of that being, uh, that, that just really doesn't really happen very much anymore. And that has been, I think, the, the kind of the, the saddest surprise of, of the dating adventures, because it, it can be very, you know, disheartening to be sort of, you know, making a bit of an effort to, you know, kind of to, to you know, you know, I mean, you don't even have to look your best, but to, you know, to, to look, you know, decent, right? You know, or, or just to, sure. you know, to, to try to make a, a good first impression and then to show up, you know, and meeting someone who has not even kind of given you that sort of level of courtesy. And, 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 you know, and, and it was, and it's still been something that, you know, I haven't kind of, you know, well, I guess I haven't met the person to get me off the apps or whatever, but it's been, you know, the, the interesting experience of kind of watching how other people are, are very much only focused on what they're going to get out of the relationship. Yes. So, you know, what I'm going to do for them. And then I sort of sit there and kind of, you know, put my, you know, my chin in my hand and I say, so, so what do I get out of this? <laughs> and, 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 and the times that I have actually straight up asked that question, you know, the, the people on the other end of the table just goggled at me because that <laughs> simply never occurred to them that mm. that they would be expected to be you know the other half of the equation and you know and and that's been the part that uh, you know I have you know that, that that I have enjoyed less um and then you know and then you know my friends are then going all around going oh you know are you you know are you too confident are you too smart are you, and I was like you know <laughs> you know to be confident and smart <laughs> Well, but you know, yeah. I mean, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I, I don't particularly necessarily feel like I'm, you know, either of those things sometimes, but, you know, I, I'm not going to sort of, you know, hide my light under a bushel in order to, no. you know, convince somebody to treat me politely on a date. And, yeah, you know, you're, and not, having... you're not selling a house where you tidy everything up and put it all in cupboards. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you should do that a little bit for a first date, I think, but, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah, yeah but... exactly. But that's the whole supposed to be the whole exciting part of getting into a relationship, right? That you get to kind of snoop around in the cupboards. You know, you get yeah. to look at the bookshelves. What do they yeah. like to read? <laughs> exactly. Like how, or or they don't read at all, and that's fine too. You know, to to have that kind of sense of intimacy with someone, and and that is, you know, in my experience, has not been on the table, and you know, so so you know, kind of explaining kind of how you know these sort of you know dates or these kind of encounters with people kind of went wrong was sort of what I was trying to kind of focus on in you ruin it when you talk because you know I you know you know when I'm sort of telling you know the stories of these you know dates or whatever to my friends like I wasn't going on or you know this is his name and this is where he lives and this is his age and this is what he likes you know I was just kind of going no he showed up you know he insulted me and the, the date was over, even though I didn't necessarily leave right away. And because um, and I have had that happen where, you know, I've literally walked up, sat down and, and the, you know, and, and something really rude has been said to me just straight off the bat. And, you know, and, and it's been the kind of thing where I'm sitting there going, like, are you trying to like, you know, cause people know yeah. what they're doing. So that was always the other part. People go, oh, maybe he didn't mean to insult you. And I'm like, no, I think 
you know, people know when they insult you, like it's, it's not like a, a new concept and it's not that I'm particularly thin skinned, you know, <laughs> but when, when, when someone, you know, you know, kind of, you know, does behaves this way, like it's a choice and it's not for me to, you know, teach them, you know, how to be a good boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not a, a new concept to them. And then people are like, oh, you know, you know, you, you know, you should give people a chance. And I'm like, really? Even after that? I'm supposed is it, to- is, it a, is it something of a London thing? I, I wonder, because one of the things I did with this, this documentary, I went out to the, the, the valleys of Wales, you know, so the, the old mining communities and the mines were just about shutting all of them by that point. And I was meeting, I went to a, a singles night for, for the- <laughs> I've heard this story. It's a good one though. No, but it was interesting because the people- um, really opened up very very quickly in 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 that community you know they were, weren't hiding anything they, you know they're talking through with great openness about why they were there that you know they'd lost husbands in mining accidents or uh, whatever the touched by tragedies uh, some of them um, and they were prepared to open up straight away and you immediately sort of felt a warmth and a, and a trust building up there rather than I think in London it would immediately go red alert uh, baggage uh, <laughs> all that sort of thing where you know people don't want to hear it you know uh, I think you, you I don't know if that's what you've experienced but it's it, it's um, it, I think there is a certain uh, threshold that the people are in certain parts of the country and I think London's one of them where you have to project your very best self uh, to, to an extent and and being open and honest uh, and explaining, you know, where you've come from in terms of where you are now, uh, it's something of a no-no for some for a lot of people, isn't it? Well, now I'm, now I'm just sort of wondering about this a little bit because I think if you are dating in a small town where everybody mm. knows everybody anyway, yeah. there is no point trying to sort of, you know, not be kind of brutally honest about who you are and and why you're there because everybody knows anyway whereas you know London is so big that you know you you do have a bit more of a chance not necessarily to kind of hide behind you know anonymity but you know you know you 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 know you go on these dates and you are not necessarily going to see this person ever again um you know unless you make the effort right so you don't necessarily have to be truthful or you know or even kind because there is not going to be any you know sort of social blowback from that yeah whereas you know whereas again you know if you are you know a a, you know a jackass on a bunch of dates in a small town you know the word's going to get around you know pretty quickly right yeah because I I think it was one episode of first dates I watched where that exactly what happens the the couple on a date and she said I know you you went out with a friend of a friend and a friend of a friend of a friend and I know what you did (laughs) you you see whereas you know that would almost never happen in uh in London although of course sometimes it does but then even with that you know even if you are going out with a friend of a friend you know the odds are still quite good that you will not necessarily ever bump into that person or you know or if you do it'll be you know once a year at a party kind of a thing so it's it's not still gonna you know cause the, yeah like the the level of, of responsibility it is there but 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 even again when I have you know you know left London for dating you know admittedly I haven't done much but you know it, it's I've been you know made to feel 
you know, so alien and so unusual. And, 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 you know, as if I am, you know, from a completely different world to the person that I'm, you know, trying to have a cup of coffee with that, you know, I've sort of sat there and gone, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I've been here, you know, with this person 20 minutes and I, I feel like an animal in the zoo, you know, being poked at through a cage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know how, I'm going to get past this sensation with this person who's reacting as if, you know, they've never spoken to a, you know, a foreigner before. And, um, and so, you know, so, and then, you know, so, so sometimes it's, you know, sitting there going, you know, am I these, these sort of experiences that I'm having, is it because people think that I am, you know, the, the kind of, you know, mysterious kind of creature that they don't have to treat well, that they sort of get to, they relax and they sort of let their true feelings out in a way that they would never do with someone that they had perhaps more mutual ground with. And, 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 and no one knows. So, yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got to ask, I mean, when you're having these conversations, you're on these dates, uh, at what point do you mention that you're a writer? Uh, almost never. Um, you know, because I mean, I, I never, I've, I never went out on any of these dates, you know, hoping that I was going to get to write about them. Um, yeah, sure. Because that just, because that just seemed very unkind. And the, yeah. the times when you know people were messaging me, and I was sitting there going, "Oh, I could write about this," and I was like, "No, then I absolutely can't go out with them because that's that's kind of the the you know the the journalism hat on instead of the you know person going on a date hat on, and and mm. I don't think that's fair." Um, so, you know, and, and the, the writing that I, you know, mostly have done has been, you know, you know, the film criticism that I do and, you know, some of the yes. other art criticism and talking about that has tended to, you know, either make people get very sort of, um, aggressive with me. So I think, you know, women having opinions, uh, professionally is still something that a lot of people find quite, um, offensive which is again a very strong word but you know the, the number of times where people have sort of you know expected me to kind of justify my ability to have opinions is uh you know it, it, i find you know it's it's deeply unattractive um mm. and and you know so, so it's not something that i you know necessarily wish to find out about someone right away um so you know and then or the you know people just getting very threatened by you know my ability to sort of say oh I saw that movie and this is why I thought it was good or this is why I thought it was bad mm. and you know and you know and I'm obviously not you know attempting to make anyone else feel small I'm just you know saying what I think about it and mm. and or just even you know I remember being you know on a date with this some he edited an art magazine or something and I was like fantastic this is somebody who will really understand it'll be very cool and then he kind of showed up and he started, he started wanging on about Jackson Pollock and Andy Warhol and, and, and talking about them, like clearly in a way that he didn't expect me to have either heard of either of them. <laughs> and that was kind of like, oh right. You know, and then, and then sort of kind of giving, you know, pontificating this kind of very large kind of theory about them. And I sort of, and then he kind of, he, he kind of finished and I sort of said, well, isn't the difference between them that, you know, Warhol was all ideas and no execution and Pollock was all execution and no ideas <laughs> and he literally choked on his drink and, like, and he and then he actually said something like like 
I, you know, that's a really insightful comment. I can't believe someone like you could say something like <gasps> oh that. Oh my God. You know, right? Drinking <laughs> FaceTime. <laughs> well, you know, and I was just kind of standing there going, you know, you know, kind of just kind of, you know, starting to get angry, which is of course a wonderful feeling you want to have on a date. And, um, you know, and that was it. But, you know, that kind of reaction, you know, happens more than, than you would hope. Because, you know, you, well, frankly, you would hope it never happens at all. But, you know, so, so it's been interesting kind of being Mm. out in the world like this and sort of seeing what people are kind of, or the way they're sort of prepared to behave when they're, you know, looking for, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not even going to say a relationship, but they're looking for sort of, you know, encounters with people Mm. that you know, the, the, the sort of the, the, the selfishness has, or, 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 or not even selfishness. It's kind of the, the narcissism really has yes. just kind of yes. gone through the bloody roof. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so it's been, you know, it's, it's been, you know, that kind of experience of kind of, you know, all of these things kind of actually adding up to a book, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it in one way and another way I'm sort of, going, mm, you know, <laughs> It would have been nicer just to find a nice partner, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's interesting because, I mean, there is a cultural parallel now with the launch of the new version of Sex and the City. Oh, gosh. We, 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 watched, we started watching it, yeah. We watched the first I haven't episode. seen it yet. I mean, I know I, I've, I've read the spoilers online already, so we can talk sure. about it. Sure. You know, I, I have to so, clarify. Uh, for I those pick, picking up the tale, um, basically our main character, is thrown back into the dating world hmm. uh, by ep- the end of episode by, one. By circumstance, yes. 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 Terrible, terrible so, tragedy. You know. So she's about to be, well, not about to, I'm sure she'll yeah. go through a period. Yeah, of... so, I mean, you know, she's what, in a, Carrie's in the mid-50s yeah. now, and she's about to kind of experience, I mean, it, the whole the whole sort of feel for this um, series, it seems, is the, is the dissonance uh, for that generation of, of, of women in New York and the way that a younger generation are now uh, talking about, you know, things like sex, gender, um, uh, sexuality, and and all those sort of things, and they're just completely—it's <laughs> uh, all alien to them. Much like how I feel about the world at the moment, you know, I just can't see um, yeah. keep up with what I'm supposed to well, terminology I'm supposed to use now. In, in it's really fascinating, isn't it? Because I think you know our generation speaking very broadly there with apologies but you know mm. is it, it kind of was on sort of the forefront of being kind of the the children of, of feminism so you know going from a world which was you know not entirely but but mostly sort of very you know black and white up and down you know you know male and female you know that it was yeah. very the the, the, the traditional idea of of how relationships operated and how life was was very you know set in stone and then mm. feminism kind of punched through and and shook that up and and then for you know the, the people who are younger than us you know other you know you know gay rights has punched through and you know transgender rights have punched through yes. and the world has become much less rigid in how people define themselves and how they are able to you know choose how they live their lives which is Mm. great but I think our age cohort is still 
kind of stuck in being sort of under the umbrella of the way, you know, things, you know, used to be perhaps for our parents or for, you know, you know, more in the sort of the historical past or, you know, just the world without the internet. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and so that, you know, the, that the, you know, the, the, the younger kids or, you know, kids, but, you know, people who have grown up, you know, with the internet able to sort of put, you know, be able to come up with, you know, self-definitions, be able to kind of create a much more bespoke identity, you know, they are, they are operating on a completely different playing field, which is great. And, you know, and it's, it's very satisfying to see people being able to truly be who they are and not going through, you know, the, the bullying or the abuse or the struggles Mm -hmm. that, you know, Mm -hmm. my friends and me got to experience. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so, but it, but it, it does make, you know, it does mean everything is, is much more complicated because everything being so much more bespoke, it, it makes, you know, you, you don't get to relax in the sort of knowing that things were this way or they were that way. And, yeah. you know, or, or that you didn't like things being this way. So you went off, you know, you went off and did something else, you know, so it's, it makes everything just that little bit more complex which is not, you know, a bad thing, but it just, when you are, it just adds that, you know, layer of layers of difficulty to getting to know new people or getting to figure out if you can be, you know, in a relationship with someone because, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's something that, you know, I've had to deal with a bit more in dating women because a lot of times, you know, they hear the fact that I was married to a man for a while and, and that's, and that's me straight out the door that they, you know, that that just does not interest them and I'm sitting there going well you know I can't change my past you know even if I wanted to which I, I don't and you know you know and th- that doesn't change anything about who I am or you know what I would bring to a relationship but that's not something that is necessarily agreed with which mm. is you know everybody else's privilege if that's their deal breaker you know that's up to them but it, it does mean you know, and I'm sitting there sometimes going, oh, for God's sake. Like, well, know, yeah, I think, I think there's an is element. This, of, is this the thing, you know? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think life is now full of cultural life, you know, and, and, and our lives are now full of uh, deal breakers. I mean, you know, a certain way of looking, even the way you look at somebody or you say something which they disagree with will be a deal breaker and indeed you know on social media it's become a massive deal breaker yeah you, i mean social media it could just go like that can't yeah it? it is i mean i was reading today about the guy who writes a, a whiskey directory who's like the the, the, the man for the, the whiskey bible if you like yeah and uh somebody on instagram took an objection to some of his descriptions of whiskeys you know uh, admittedly it was pretty sort of 70s style you know, it's like a, a bit like Swiss Tony on the the fast show. You know, oh, like, I get it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this whiskey is like a lady, like full you know, bodied or something. Sort of, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's a date you want to keep going on. Oh God! Sort of so it was a bit. It's a bit naff. But is it? Is it? Is it something that needs cancelling completely? Because his life is, you know, basically all of the is distillers just, yeah. turn their backs on him immediately once once somebody raise that objection one instagram post i do i do get upset when somebody's livelihood is ruined in an instant yeah just like that yeah i mean it depends i mean you know there are degrees of things look you know no one has a problem with jeffrey epstein being like if he'd been cancelled fine should have been in you know a long long time ago but somebody who's you know basically growing up watching benny hill 
um is is it's it's a difficult thing isn't it i mean where where does the balance go so there's like well there's more anxiety now i think there's there's so much there's anxiety a different type of anxiety when we were young there was anxiety because we might have had feelings or thoughts about ourselves that we couldn't express because we thought we would be rejected for being different Mm -hmm. now you can be different but there's 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 the anxiety of you sort of making sure that you're not um being you know that you're not judging someone or you're not being judged by someone else because of the sort of subtle differences in everybody now mm-hmm. uh, i mean the, the the pendulum has swung you know a great deal in the other direction and uh, you know part of me is is a little bit sympathetic to somebody kind of kind of saying you know you might not think that these descriptions of whiskey are harmful but you know we we disagree and, you know, I mean, whether or not they're correct is, is one thing, but I think it's, it's, it's wonderful that, that some people are able to kind of go, you know, this is, this is not, you know, the, the biggest deal in the world, but, you know, this is something that makes me not want to, you know, buy from you or to take your advice. And, you know, if, if that's your intent, you know, knock yourself mm. out, but if it isn't your intent, you know, maybe you just need to, you know, think about it and you know well, it might, that... right and you know and, and and of course sometimes the the fights that get picked and especially in social media are really insulting and ridiculous yes. but sometimes there is a kernel of truth in in the things that oh, are being sure. said and you know and it's it I was at a concert a few years ago um by a musician who I think I won't name, but who has apparently sort of later in life has has realized that she is she is gay, and so the crowd at this um, show that she gave was half sort of the kind of the long-standing fans who admired her for you know the whole of her career, and the other half were you know kind of her new sort of gay friends and. Mm-hmm she spent the entire show directing her energies only at the gay crowd in the front and didn't, it didn't acknowledge anybody else in the room. I was at the back, um, I guess with some of more of the old crowd and, um, and we couldn't even see her. She didn't even like stand up and wave. And, you know, it was still a good show, but it, it, it you know, it, it was, it was not that big a room, you know? So mm. it was kind of, like, you know, you know, this is, this is a bit disappointing and somebody on Twitter said something like this to her, you know, loved the show, but it was a bit disappointing. You didn't wave at the back. And she sicked her friends on this person and then on everybody basically going, this is homophobia. This is hate. How dare he tell me not to, you know, direct my energies to to the gay crowd at the front. How dare he, you know, this, this man speaking over me. And I was standing there, you know, watching this, you know, blow up going, my gay ass at the back couldn't see anything either, (laughs) you know, but it, you know, and it was, it was, it was, it was a very sort of, you know, it felt like watching a bunch of teenagers fighting. And I was sitting there going, no, I get why she's behaving like this because for her being gay is new. So she is new at, you know, behaving like this. This is why, even though she is, you know, in her fifties or whatever, that she's behaving like a teenager, but on the other hand, you know, he had a point. Like there was yeah, a large yeah. crowd that was in this room that she just completely ignored. And you can 
kind of understand that behavior if someone is a teenager and kind of, you know, being completely in love with their sort of new, wonderful, perfect self. But for, a you know, a, a working artist to ignore, you know, the, the crowd that, you know, bought tickets to come and, you know, help you out was, mm. uh, was, was very uncool. And, um, and then to watch her throw this deeply unpleasant public tantrum about it for, you know, someone who I, you know, you know, really just, it, it was, it was very, it was, it was really unpleasant to watch. And I can't even imagine how the, the, the bloke who was getting the worst of the vitriol, you know, felt about it. I mean, I, I certainly, I, I got rid of uh, that woman's uh, music on my, on my devices after that. Cause I just was there going, you know what, like, this is kind of, this is spoiled her work for me mm. because she is behaving just this, she's just being this ridiculous and, you know, and then, but, you know, but then this is, and this is where I think, you know, social media can be, you know, terrible as well as wonderful because people forget that they are on a public platform and sometimes allow their kind of true selves to shine in a way that you sort of would hope that someone who is a professional or someone who is, you know, trying to you know be their best self, you know, wouldn't wouldn't do that. They would think twice about it. And but then this is, of course, you know, the the, the you know the, the the you know how these things can be sort of so wonderful and terrible at the same time because people can be their true selves, and sometimes you wish they wouldn't because their true selves are just you know not necessarily Absolutely. what you want to see. So, no, it's yeah. it's it's a del- delicate time and difficult to strike the right balance and 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 but all and we chart- could do is just be it do the best we can exactly chart our way through <laughs> these difficult waters um in a in a sense our conversation sarah has been a bit like a blind date in the well sense we, we we just we connected like on social media dating, didn't exactly. We? <laughs> exactly we were saying just before we said we don't really know much about sarah you know normally we know quite mm. a bit about the person we're interviewing because um mm we may have had a, some sort of relationship with them before you know through their work or whatever and and we said well this is a bit like a date then <laughs> it is and it's been a w- rather wonderful one it's fascinating i mean luckily i'm delightful and uh, i think you guys are <laughs> you know <laughs> you know a lot about art so you win with me because i did oh, uh, an art, so a master's in art so <laughs> <laughs> i like your comments about jackson pollock and andy warhol <laughs> absolutely absolutely no it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for uh, for joining us and just to remind you. people that uh, your book uh, you ruin it when you talk is available mm-hmm. from Open Pen. It's on Amazon and yeah, Waterstones all, as well. Yeah, Waterstones, which is sort of there, which is wonderful. And we we well, let's uh, we're working through manuscripts at the moment. We'd love to see the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. I'll May not fit into our genres, but that doesn't mean we're not interested. So uh, we'd love to see it. Uh, <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure. I think I think you've covered and. Shone, shone a light on a lot of really interesting subjects which, yeah, which kind of, yeah i know i'm going to be thinking about all this the rest of the yeah. day yeah it's been really, <laughs> really fascinating do you have Thank that you mystery so question for me i you... do have the mystery oh, yes, question of course the mystery question so yeah. you need to do the the intro to my mystery okay question. all right i'll do my sort of best he's, he's supposed to be making a jingle for me he hasn't uh, done it yet <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> rebecca's random question Okay, so my question is based on uh, something that I was thinking about a couple of years ago. I used to have a blog, and my blog was called Weird Thoughts I Have Sat on the Toilet. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know this before we started dating. Again. And so one, t- one time, one of my weird thoughts was, 
that the way that people prefer to sleep in terms of their position may be having an have something to say about their personality so whether you sleep in a fetal position whether you do starfish or um i don't know limbs hanging out or <laughs> so my question to you is how do you like to sleep i i don't think i've ever thought about this before this is fascinating um <laughs> told you it was random I, yeah well you were not wrong there um <laughs> I tend to sleep on my back. Oh. Sometimes I sleep on my side. Um, I don't know. I've been told I don't move around a lot while I'm asleep. You know, some people, you know, they thrash mm. and they do that. And apparently I don't. Um, I'm a pretty good sleeper, I have to say. I think we, yeah, yeah. I mentioned somehow already was, before. So. It's funny you did, when you said that, I thought, oh, she's going to like the question now. Uh, uh, yeah, when you said that, I was immediately jealous. And uh, I almost got defensive because I'm really struggling. I, I mean, well, it, I, I've been lucky in a few things in my life is I'm a good sleeper and I have good teeth. So um, those are... Those are <laughs> I'm doubly right. jealous, though. <laughs> yeah, my teeth are shot. When I thought but, about this, I did a little bit of research. And so you say you like to sleep on your back sometimes. Um, apparently that indicates, now there's, there's no scientific evidence of this, of course, mm. but you are uh, logical and organised. I am. I am logical and organised. Ah, yeah. There you go. There Thank you, go. you, Rebecca. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, I when I read this, I, uh, starfish person. So I naturally would sleep like a starfish. I don't because there's somebody next to me. Mm. Um and so apparently a starfish is a good friend with good ears for listening. Apparently. Exactly I don't know if that's true. 90% of the time, that's true. You have to ask um, my friend. why you run this wonderful podcast about books for listening. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. See? And about life. I mean, it, you know, this is the point of the podcast is that it doesn't matter if it's about books or not. It just goes into any territory. But uh, yeah, it's always a good conversation. That is fascinating. What about my side sleeping? What does that side mean? Side sleeping. Uh, By the way, the I, log, right? That's, right? that's the ter- uh, term for the, I'm a, the <laughs> position. <laughs> <laughs> the log is slammed for something. Actually, up. this does fit you well. The right. log, asleep on the side with arms by the sides. This person is a social butterfly. Everyone loves this person. Yeah, so you right. should embrace your logness, I think. I wish oh, I could. Right. I mean, at the moment with my bust right shoulder, I can't lie. No, you're having trouble. You're, you're sleeping more like a soldier, which is the lying on your back style. Yeah, sort of hybrid, so, hybrid one. So, yeah. I mean, the, 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 you know, people have written about this on the internet. It's fascinating. Oh, well, absolutely. God, God, God love so. the internet. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and you know it must be true if it's on the internet. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> before before we, we leave you, um, Sarah, I've got to ask, I mean, have you had any successful dates yet? I mean, anything <laughs> more because you know you know, you've got a catalogue of disaster in the book. It seems <laughs> everybody asks me that, and 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 I wish to God the answer was yes. Um, but yeah, I haven't had many. I think sometimes the the most successful dates are ones where they're just a bit boring, and but they're not bad. The person hasn't been insulting, hasn't been unkind. They just are not for me. And right. um, and I tend to get so enthusiastic about those dates that, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, I ruin them, perhaps, um, because, you know, sometimes the bar is that low that somebody manages just to kind of clear it and you think, oh, 
And then they're like, no, what am I talking about? This person was born, you know, you know, you know we, I was staring into my pint glass for hours, or it felt like hours, desperately trying to think of things to say, and, you know, and I just couldn't. And, um, you know, so, so, you know, so obviously I've got a wedding coming up in a few weeks, but, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, I mean, hope springs eternal, um, which Absolutely. I can always decide is, is, is a good thing or not, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, it doesn't work until it does, right? Absolutely. Well, that's like publishing. And- it's usually when you're not looking and suddenly you're in a situation that's completely different. It's exactly like publishing, you know. It's like publishing. Term, <laughs> put a book out there. But it's true, it right? I mean, you know, you don't know how it's going to go until you, right. you, you go, right? And then right. and then you sit there and go, oh, dear. Or you sit there and you go, yes, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much for having me. I have a confession to make. You do? Well, I want to apologize. We're in a booth. Sarah, Sarah was great. <laughs> I said to you before we got in, well, we don't know who she is. It'd be half an hour max. We went on for probably an hour and a half. I had to edit it down somewhat. I know. And I mean, it, it was such a fascinating chat we had because we talked about all sorts of things. And mm. I think towards the end, I mouthed to you, didn't I? We ought to wrap this up because I looked at the time and thought, we've been chatting for over an hour, I think. Yeah, it was. It was nearly an hour and a half in the end. Uh, and it was such fun. You know, uh, you know, again, it's one of these things where, uh, honestly, if you give yourself the opportunity to have a, a, an intelligent conversation, and indeed, at times, a frivolous one. Yes, so much fun. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it too. So uh, uh, wonderful to speak to Sarah and to, to meet her. Yeah. Know, line date uh, via the podcast, which was, was great. Yes, and I, I think we'd like a second date. Yeah, I think we would, actually. <laughs> well, we're going to look at the manuscript. Uh, um, it's not in our genres, but... Hey, I'm, just, I'm just fascinated. I, and... I just love the way she writes. Um, you know, this, that sort of... Yeah, I mean, the world needs more sort of humorous sharp observation um and brave observation as well i think uh, you know there's not enough of it about yeah i agree at the moment well we've got uh well christmas seems to be you know piling in on us judging by the number of boxes arriving we're all randomly buying presents for each other and for the rest of the family yes i keep getting excited when the delivery man comes and then what? i see josh collins i'm gonna use the... this opportunity <laughs> to thank my sister who sent uh <laughs> Uh, she sent me a cryptic message saying, I hope you're in because the delivery is due today. And I I didn't know anything about and it. And I, I was in and uh, didn't you, know you about this me message. In. Yeah, so I was up, <laughs> I, I've spent a week going up and down the, the M6 to uh, umpteen medical tests and appointments and things. Nothing too much to worry about. Nothing we didn't know about, really. Uh, but anyway, uh, you sent me a text saying, oh, uh, you know, I've... Uh, 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 box has arrived and i've had to put it in the freezer because yeah, it's it and a... then you said it's your laptop <laughs> i went oh yeah fine whatever you know but actually it was two boxes arriving yes it was my new laptop um <gasps> you know trying to future proof the uh the, the the sort of technical side of the business and uh yeah it was some wonderful cornish pasties from my sister uh which are now in the freezer so we look forward to those at christmas but uh from cornwall so yeah was... so th- this box arrived and and i, I was just I was just because it said Adrian Hobart on the front. I thought, okay, it's not for me. It could be a present, but then it had this this big label that said "freeze immediately upon arrival." So I was thinking, what is it? A dead rat? What is it? Yeah, 
<laughs> it turned out to be a box of pasties. Yeah, no, it's great. We're really grateful. Thank yeah, you for that, lovely. Rachel. Yeah, it's lovely. Can't wait to eat them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, She knows you very well. That's all I'll say. Yeah, she sure does. <laughs> well, the excitement of this week, uh, past the F1 oh. Formula One um, challenge, will be something. But we had a really good week, actually, because we had a gathering, a soiree. We had a party. We did. We had a soiree <laughs> to launch Silenced by Jenny Ensor. Um, and it was great. Number of our authors joined us, and uh, bloggers, and you know, supporters of Hobeck in general. It was a really good, fun occasion, actually. And I would like to say to the people who listened to this podcast last week, you both drank and enjoyed mulled wine. I both drank and tolerated mulled wine. He had seconds. Okay, I had second. I was desperate for a drink. Um, <laughs> no, it was you great. say you're desperate for a drink. We have a cupboard full of beverages in there <laughs> yeah that's true that's true i mean you know, i rarely touch them um you know it's amazing really this is the thing about being adults isn't it you can have a cupboard full of booze and you don't touch it but if you were you know like furtively having a, a house party as a teenager it would have all gone well i joke with my middle son all the time about the fact when we go to bed he could go into that cupboard yeah and uh, we'd never hear have he goes, a party instead he eats crisps on, on the quiet <laughs> In the middle of the night. I did tell him, though. I said, I know what what teenagers do. I know that you have some and then you water down the drinks and adults can tell when they've been watered down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so uh, we launched that. We launched uh, Dark Side of Christmas and we launched Blood Loss, the audiobook. Um, so, yeah. It, it was Tuesday was a, an amazing day on many, in yeah, many ways. It was sort of Black Tuesday for, for Hobbit books. <laughs> um, and the party was great, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was terrific. So, yeah, it was good, really good vibe. And um, we're really grateful for everybody who joined us. And uh, sorry for those who couldn't. But, um, yeah. Do was... you know there was one lady from New Zealand there? I didn't know that. She popped up for a while. I don't think she stayed too long, but she looked rough. I mean, what I mean is she looked tired. <laughs> that oh, terrible. that's really... Oh, I just... Take... I was... <laughs> You know what? You ruin it when, felt... you, when you talk. <laughs> I do. I'm really sorry if you're listening, but I've just been, you look very tired and I was so grateful you'd made the effort to get up at, what, 4 or 5 a.m. or whatever it was in New Zealand. <laughs> Absolutely. Blimey. Right, well, this week, um, you know, it's going to be another crazy week. We've got a number of sort of titles which we're sort of putting to bed for next year. Uh, I've got a lot of audio work still to do. Well, it'll just that'll just be constant, so I might as well just you know that, take that as written. That I'm, <laughs> that I'm doing an absolute massive of audio stuff uh, all the time. It is time consuming, and I have managed to find a process which which cuts the time a fair bit, which is great. Uh, but yeah, uh, roll on AI editing. Oh, one thing we're doing this week is quite exciting. We're going to appear on an island. Well, we're going to be packing to go on an island. Yeah. Yeah, we are, which is another podcast. Um, I'm a little <laughs> Montague's bit, Island, isn't Montague's it? Montague's Island. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried that I've got to name seven books. No, no, you see, I, I was, when you weren't here, and it was one evening, and I thought, I'm going to see if I can fi- find the seven books that I want to name. I had about, I had a short list of about 150 yeah, to pick from. I can't even draw up a list of seven. <laughs> Thing is, I don't keep books. Well, you don't like have you to, do. you don't have to have them to hand. Okay. But, all right. You know, if you could remember the books that have... Mm, Spot the Dog, Mog... Well, we've got all those, so don't worry about that. (laughs) Yeah. Mog Uh, is a great book, actually. Mog is a a marvellous 
triumph of storytelling and, and humour, and it just has brought up generations of kids in the UK, particularly. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Actually, I, I I would have to put either the Railway Stories or the Mister Men books in there too, because I was obsessed with both. Yeah, you, you could put anything you like. I, I mean, think, uh, I, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's about my level, anyway. Uh, yeah, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I think uh, we're drawing to a close. Yes, because I've got to go and buy a Christmas tree, which so, the cat is going to love. Presumably, our guest next week. Dan and Leanne, Dan and Leanne, who run a bookshop in, in Norwich. Norwich. So uh, very much to... looking forward to them. I, yeah. I feel bad. I've messed them around a little bit, but well, they were very understanding. They were very understanding, and, and that's enormously to their credit. Thank you very much um, for being patient with us, and uh, we look forward to speaking to them next week. But anyway, we're uh, draw us to a close. Thank you for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. Don't forget to go to our website www.hobeck.net. Uh, if you wish to get uh, a bargain in the audiobook department, then we have our own audiobook store there. A link there, uh, and they are discounted on our audiobook page. And those are growing all the time. Uh, also, you can get uh, paperbacks from there. And uh, don't forget, we're also on Amazon with all of our titles. But and it, so details are all on the website. If you order a paperback uh, between now and Christmas, uh I will wrap it in lovely Christmas paper for you. Yeah, you've been getting a lot of love for that <laughs> on the on social media. For, for, you know, I, I I must admit I'm going to try and order some things from there so, simply so you can wrap them for me. You can... and then get, I'll give them to you. So that's perfect. You give me your presents to wrap anyway, except the ones for me. I know I'm hopeless at wrapping. I mean, really, really, disgracefully bad. Anyway, we digress. Anyway, I've been Adrian Hobart, um, and I've been Rebecca Collins, and this has been the Hobcast Book Show. Thank you for joining us and both of us want to wish you a very happy and creative week. Ta-ra! Ta-ra! You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.